Today's lesson is on the third commandment. And if you haven't been here, and for those listening who might listen to the online recording, we're, we're in a series now where we're covering the Ten Commandments, and Adam has asked us to cover them in the same way that our catechism does. So if you read through the larger catechism on the Ten Commandments, the format you see is what is the commandment, and it gives you the commandment, and it says what is required of the commandment, and then what is forbidden. Uh, and so that's how we've divided each of the commandments, really giving them two lessons. So knowing that, you know this is really a broad overview of each one. And so this is the first lesson on the third, and so we're going to cover the positives. Uh, Robert's going to handle the negatives next week. So I kind of have to fence myself in, especially with the commandments that literally say, you shall not. So we're not going to focus on what you should not do in light of this commandment, but really what is this commandment encouraging us to do? What is this commandment asking us to do? When we think about the third commandment, and and we'll read it later straight from Exodus chapter 20, but it's the one, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. So just kind of maybe some opening discussion. When you hear that commandment or when you've thought about that commandment, what typically... What sins do you typically think of? Whether it's in your own life or maybe you see it in the world or society. But when you hear that commandment, what were you raised to think? You shall not, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, that's a good one. But you shall not love for me. Yeah. Anything else? I think Linda probably mentions the one that we all think of, or at least have been raised to think of, at least in my upbringing, that's the commandment that tells you how to talk, not to cuss. But today what I want us to see, this is probably a commandment uh, that I'm suspicious of in my own life as far as not reflecting on it as much as the other ones. I even asked Adam in preparation for this lesson, I said, all right, preacher man, what is the commandment of all ten? that you probably have not neglected in the sense of sinned against the most, but spent the least amount of time studying, spent the least amount of time meditating on. And maybe you can ask yourself that question now. Um, People get pretty hyped up about the second commandment, which we covered uh, over the last two weeks, and the fourth commandment, which we'll cover in the coming weeks. But really the third I found when I asked myself that question is probably the one I've done the least amount of time really meditating on and asking myself, Grant, where in your life... Are you falling short of this commandment? Because we know we break them all quite regularly, um, either intentionally or ignorantly. So there's some personal aspects to this commandment that I want you to think of this morning, because maybe you're like me, maybe you're like Adam, who also mentioned the third as being the one he's probably the least read on. Uh, And you can ask yourself this morning, maybe begin meditating on it this morning, how have you lived up to this commandment of not taking the name of the Lord in vain? And so some questions before we all open the lesson with prayer. Maybe you can think about this. Is this a commandment that you've neglected personally to meditate on? Is this a commandment that you and I have personally neglected to meditate on? You should not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. Those get a lot of attention, right? Only worship God. Don't worship God through images. Those get a lot of attention. But is this one that we neglect? Do we fail at this commandment? If I were to ask you, David or Christy uh, or Sydney, what commandments did you break yesterday? Would this one be at the top of the list? And do you struggle with this commandment? Do you have practices in your life that you put in place to be on guard against the temptation to take the name of the Lord in vain? 
So, as we set up this lesson, I would ask you to start to think personally about this. Do you wrestle with this commandment? When's the last time you broke this commandment? And if all your answers to these questions are, I really haven't thought about it, I really don't think I struggle with it, or maybe I haven't broken this in a while, then I'm proposing, as I propose to myself, that maybe I've become numb to this commandment. Maybe I've been too narrow with this commandment. And so hopefully my goal today is not to just tell you a bunch of things not to do, but I'm handling the positives. It's to encourage us with what standard this commandment calls us to. And naturally when you look at a standard <laughs> from below, we're way below, you're going to see where you fall short. But hopefully there's some encouragement in this commandment and we can see things that we can do as Christians to, to do the positive things that this commandment asks of us. So without babbling on anymore about the introduction, let's open with prayer. And then if you want to go ahead and have in your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. <coughs> Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are thankful uh, that we have yet another Lord's Day to come and gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with the body. Help us, Lord, to have affection for this gathering. Help us, Lord, to love one another despite our differences and our preferences. May we be reminded today, O oh Lord, by your Spirit, that our unity is in the blood of Christ, that we should be known as people who love one another. And help us to do that, Lord. We ask now that as we come from weeks of labor, weeks of dealing with family, with friends, with jobs, with the stresses that this world and, and living this life has, Help those to grow a little bit dim today, oh God, as we try to focus specifically on you, as we have corporate worship. During this hour, I would ask, oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts and, and unclog our ears and open our eyes so that we might hear your word and, and prepare our hearts now for hearing the ministry of your word that will come through Adam in just a little while. But now, oh Lord, help us to understand the third commandment. We plead with you, O oh Lord, and we confess that, that we fall short of it. We need you to help us understand your law and to keep it. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. You'll find the third commandment in verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Right off the bat, when you read this commandment, there's two things I want to point out that are unique about it. And the first one is this. If you look at the second half of the commandment, it comes with a reminder of punishment. It comes with a reminder of a charge of how serious God takes this command. In other words, if you'll just scan with your eyes really quick all ten commandments there in Exodus 20, <coughs> none of the other ones have a statement like this immediately following the commandment. It says, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And we could spend a lot of time on that, but for our purposes, I just want to say that if anything, that second clause should remind us this uniqueness of this commandment should remind us of how serious we should take this commandment. 
and that maybe it is a little more broad. Certainly it can include the way we talk and misuse the name of God in our speech. But this is something we should turn our ears up to. Maybe this is evidence. Maybe God knew that this will be a command that we might be tempted to pass over. And so we have a clause here that hopefully gives us a little bit of pause. The other thing is this word vain. What does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? And when you define that word, at least in our current use of language, it really um, says taking the name of the Lord in a useless way, in a foolish way, uh, lackluster, you know, half-heartedly. So those are the two things I want to point out as we go into this commandment. Now, this is a shall not command, but it does have positives. And so the negative is you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And when we understand the word vain, as I just described it, then we can take to be a positive. This command is encouraging us to honor the name of God in everything that we do. In all aspects of our life, we need to be careful not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And Robert will address that next week. But in verse of that, the positives are in everything that we do. We should make sure that we are reverencing, have reverence and honor and show esteem towards God. Psalm 69, verse 9. I think it's probably fair to say that in our spiritual walks, Psalm 69, verse 9, just the first half of the verse, not even the entire verse. It's in the midst of a Christian crying out to God for help amidst calamity and, and, and persecution. And I think this verse captures the idea of what we're trying to express in positively understanding the third commandment. What is it requiring of us? And listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 69.9. It says, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. As Christians, this third commandment encourages us and requires us to be consumed with honoring God. There's no avenue of your life that this command doesn't touch. So does this command just deal with using God's titles, the name God, the name Jesus, Holy Spirit, Yahweh? Does this simply just have to do with using those words in cuss words or in foul language? That's the question I want you to consider because I think that's the one that we most naturally apply to this commandment when we hear it, or maybe we don't treat it as heavily as it should be, or as God calls us to. Uh, in light of that phrase we talked about, he's not going to hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. Our catechism elaborates this question well beyond uh, using God's name as in, in foul language or in cuss words in a useless way. You know, it's common when you turn on the television or you listen to a song or a TV ad or even cartoons for kids. For you to hear the name God or Jesus or something along those lines in a way that's not about worshiping him, it's not about making much of his name, it's using it just as common as the word uh, darn or golly gee, instead inserting the word God or instead inserting the word Jesus Christ. The Westminster Larger Catechism, since I know you all have a copy of your catechism with you, Uh, The question is actually 112, and it says, what is required in the third commandment? This sets us up to understand how broad um, 
the Westminster divines thought this commandment applied, and that's kind of what we're going to walk through. What is required in the third commandment? The third commandment requires that the name of God, his titles, attributes, ordinances, the word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, his works, and whatsoever else there is whereby he makes himself known. So note immediately we see the catechism answer expanding this idea of it not just being saying the literal name of God in a disrespectful manner. It really has to do with anything and everything that God has revealed about himself and how he's done that. And the second half, so take all those things about God and it says this is what this command requires regarding all those things. That they be holy and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing by an holy profession and an answerable conversation to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. You don't have a copy with you, so it's hard to say, but the phrase that I want to focus on instead of going by every word in in the answer because we don't have enough time (coughs) is that they be holy and reverently used. The names of God, the titles of God, the worship of God, the word of God, prayers when we take vows, when we take oaths, lots, when we do all these things in reference to God's name, they should be holy and reverently used. What does this commandment not touch? I propose that this commandment touches on our marriages. I propose that this commandment touches on how we worship, on our mindset when we come to worship, on our mindset when we take part in or are witness to baptism, our mindset when we come to the Lord's table. How we choose to entertain ourselves, I think, can have a common effect on how we view many of the commandments, but especially, I think, the third. Our jobs, how we answer to our superiors, how we carry out our day-to-day tasks, what we read, how we spend our time, our private devotion, and things like family worship. You can see, hopefully, from reading the Catechism and some of these things I'm proposing, that I'm, I'm stating that this commandment goes well beyond, don't say a cuss word. And hopefully we'll begin to unpack that more and more by the end of the lesson, if I've done a good job. Two of the things I want to focus on with regards to the third commandment, since we don't have time to cover thoughts, meditation, word, writing, holy profession, holy conversation, is I've divided it into two categories, our words and our deeds. How do we approach our words and our deeds and try to be obedient to the third commandment? And here's an initial question on our words and on our conversations, and let's, let's just, for the sake of the third commandment, let's say this is just a regular day. This isn't a Sunday. This is when you go to work. This is tomorrow. Do your words that you use, do the conversations that you will begin to have, do they reflect the reverence for God? That's one question that we can ask with regard to the third commandment in our words. Now, either we can speak disrespectfully of God or we cannot speak of God at all, and I think we run into trouble with the third commandment because certainly he is worthy of our speech. Narrowly, this command says, don't take the name Yahweh in vain. Don't use that name in a useless manner. But I think more broadly and more accurately, 
this command deals with all the aspects of God and how he's revealed himself. So, for example, we have a common phrase that we use in our society and that people get pretty prideful about, and that's our good name, right? We want to make a name for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with wanting to protect your character and your integrity and the way you're thought of in the community. But there are things that people can do to you, things that people can say about you, spread about you, especially today with social media, that can defame your character, that can take away from people thinking of you as a good good person in society or a moral person, right? And when you hear that phrase, do you think that that means someone's going around and saying, oh, Grant, you know, that they're just saying my name irreverently? No, they've done something or they've said something or they've treated me or my family in a way that makes me appear useless, that makes me appear foolish. And so when you hear the command of the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. God is not just saying, don't use my actual name when it comes off your lips disrespectfully. But he's saying everything that you do in this life should draw others, should be evidence of your respect and your reverence for me, ultimately. Dalma, which is the author of a book that Adam has asked us to to reference as we walk through these commandments, um, really walks divides the the prohibitions of this commandment into three categories. And we can only really talk about three because I'm covering the positives. And the first one is sorcery. And I'm not going to encourage you to, to do sorcery, so I can't cover that commandment this Sunday. Uh, that part of the commandment. The second one is false prophecy. So coming and proclaiming a message of God, but it being a lie. <coughs> Attaching God to our messages for anything other than bringing him glory. Um, number three, oaths and vows. That's where I can camp out. That's where I want to encourage us today and spend the, the rest of this time really reminding us of vows and oaths that we've all likely taken uh, or that we will take at some point in our lives. Um, because what's common in society, and it's even common in, this, in the secular world still, when, when people have swearing-in ceremonies. I think Whitney and I watched a documentary this week that involved court, a court case. And what do they do when the witness stands on the witness stand? They swear them in. Usually they ask them to put their hand on the Bible, or they say, do you swear by God in some form or fashion? Um, I probably took, Jake probably had a swearing-in ceremony. Um, I wasn't a part of it. I was thinking they might be here this morning, where he had to ascribe that he would carry out his duties faithfully before God. But we've all taken vows, uh, if we're in this room, I think, either at least marriage vows. I think everybody in here, uh, well, um, Jeremy, not yet. Uh, maybe one day. Yeah, one day. Um, yeah, one day. But membership vows. And also officer vows. And you might be thinking when I say officer vows, well, what does that have to do with me? But there's a section in our Book of Church Order where we take officer vows um, that the congregation also takes a vow in that same um, event. And so I want us to look at those and at least focus on the things that we have said and attach the name of God to them, to hold us accountable to them. Because if we just brush across this commandment and say, well, Grant, I'm really doing pretty good at this. I never say God in an irreverent way. I don't say, oh my, or fill in the blank. I don't say Jesus Christ in a way that they do in the TV shows and in the songs irreverently. 
So this one I'm, I probably don't need to focus too much on, but I would say no, we, we, we likely struggle with this commandment just as much as the other nine. So I made a copy so that I could read and just remind us before we get into deeds of some of the words, or at least similar words that we've taken, so that we can reflect this morning <coughs> on the questions of have we, have we violated this commandment? Are we maybe in a place that we've become so numb and hardened towards this commandment that we don't even recognize where we violated it? And so these are the marriage vows that I printed out from the Book of Church Order. Now, I, I didn't take these exact vows, but we, Whitney and I were married by a minister, and we took some similar vows. So th- this is just a shortened, condensed version. So the minister, he turns to the man... And he says, man, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live with her after God's commandments, in the holy estate of marriage, and will you love her, honor and cherish her, so long as you both shall live? And the man says, hopefully I will. And the minister shall say, woman, will you have this man to be your wedded husband, to live with him after God's commandments, in the holy estate of marriage, and will you love him? Cherish and obey him, so long as you both shall live. I, man, take you, woman, to be my wedded wife, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, as long as we both shall live. And the woman says the same thing back to the man. The man takes the ring and He says, this ring I give to you as a symbol and pledge of constant faith and abiding love. And listen to the question that the minister ends by asking the woman. He says, do you, woman, receive this ring as a token of your pledge to keep this covenant and perform these vows? One of the ways that you and I can meditate on the third commandment is to think about the promises that we've made before God and before other people. So a lot of the third commandment is about our word and what we say we're going to do and the promises that we make. And we shouldn't go around all the time making all these promises in the sight of God every single day, but these are, these are usually solemn events like our marriages. And so when we want to meditate on the third commandment, one of the things we can think about is the promises that we've made to God the promises that we've said we would uphold. A lot of us, including myself, probably don't remember every single word of the promise that we made before God on our wedding day. Uh, The other one is our membership vows. Now, again, you may not be a member here, but you've probably taken some type of vows to be a part of a local body, either by signing a piece of paper or agreeing to uphold something verbally. But here, we we took vows uh, before the congregation. And listen to the introduction of these questions that the minister asked each member who wants to join this church. All of you being here present to make a public profession of faith are to assent to the following declarations and promises by which you enter into a solemn covenant with God and His church. And so paraphrasing a little bit, it's do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner? Do you believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes followers of Christ? 
Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work? Not to your ability, but it actually says to the best of your ability. Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? And the one for officers is similar. Officers are, officers are asked this, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of the church? That implies you know them and have studied them as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Do you approve the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America? Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon in the church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the gospel, the profession of the gospel in your life and set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? And do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, and unity and edification of the church? We members have also made a swearing before God, an oath before God, in this manner regarding our officers. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder or deacon? And do you promise to yield him all that honor, encouragement, obedience, in the Lord, to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him. When we don't live up to the vows that we make before God, we take the name of the Lord in vain. We make it useless. In fact, anytime we sin with our profession as Christians, the reality is that's, that's what we're doing. That's part of our brokenness. When our sin is brought face, we're brought face to face with where sin is, we realize we've taken on this name of claiming to be a member of the body of Christ, and we've fallen short. So you can see that this commandment touches us in every area of our lives, far beyond slipping up and saying the Lord's name in a disrespectful or vain manner. Hopefully, now how does this bleed into our actions? Uh, Colossians chapter three, verse seventeen. So, so far, we, we've basically just expressed the commandment. We haven't really dealt with the, the obvious one because I think we're more used to that, making sure that when we speak about God and worship and the Bible, we do that in a reverent and not a disrespectful manner. We seek to be reverent in the way we use that. We seek to be truthful in the way we use that. We should seek to not describe God in a way he hasn't described himself. Uh, we talked about a lot of that when we covered the attributes. But our words also are connected to our deeds, and we're reminded of that in several places across Scripture. Uh, but I thought that Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 made a connection uh, that is helpful. <coughs> it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
So maybe if you kind of winced at the fact that I stated this third commandment really impacts everything that we think, say, and do, you can see from Colossians that there is a connection between our words and our deeds, and we're called in Scripture to do all of those things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when we fail to do that, we fail to meet Scripture's standard. So what are some ways that we can cultivate, or maybe you're sitting there, or, or maybe, you were, maybe you could relate to me when I said at the beginning I probably have neglected this commandment the most, at least in trying to meditate on it and see where I match up or where I fall short, or is there anything in my life I can change internally or externally that will help me uh, mortify my sins against discharge? And I think there are some helpful things that we can do to cultivate. So here's a question. Or not, not a question. Here's a, here's a common, simple answer. that um, it's, all, it's fresh on my mind because in Harper's little catechism questions, we went over it. But it says, how can you get the help of the Holy Spirit? And the, the answer to the, in the kids' catechism question is simply this. God tells us to pray to the Holy Spirit and to ask him to help us. So if we find our place and find ourselves in a position or maybe we hear the name of God used in an irreverent, blasphemous, or a vain way, and it doesn't affect us, or it doesn't bother us. Or maybe we don't really care about our vows, even though we, we stood in front of a minister who we recited vows towards, and it was in a covenant, or it was an oath towards God. It invoked the name of God to highlight and illustrate the seriousness of what we were committing ourselves to. So we can ask God in prayer to help us to have more reverence for Him, to help us to care more about His name. And we know that we can do that in our words and in our deeds. And here's another question. We can study about God. How can we have reverence? How can we ensure that we're not taking God's name in vain if we don't ever really spend, if we don't ever spend much time getting to know Him through His Word or through reading good resources from other Christian brothers and sisters? So what can we do? We can pray. We can study more about God. And here's an important one. We should spend some time and identify things in our lives. Maybe there's none. Maybe we got this commandment under wraps. Are there things in our lives that cause us to be numb towards this commandment? I mentioned entertainment earlier, and I won't get into uh, trying to tell you whether or not it is or isn't appropriate to watch things that take the name of the Lord in vain. But I will propose to you this, that those things, whether we're hearing them or seeing them or reading them, they have a numbing effect. They have a numbing effect. When is the last time you were really affected by something outside of yourself misusing the name of God or misusing the name of Jesus? And rather than leaning on the side of, well, it's probably not that big of a deal, I would hope us knowing that we're fallen creatures, we would probably lean more towards the fact of, Maybe I've become hard and indifferent towards this commandment. James Durham is a dead Presbyterian Scotsman, and he's quite fire, and he has a little book. Uh, it's an exposition on the Ten Commandments. And uh, he, he, would, he would be considered probably by a lot of standards to be overly strict. And he spends a lot of his chapter on the Third Commandment um, discussing what's forbidden. And at the very end of the chapter, he gives some encouragement. <laughs> you might not agree that it's encouragement once I read the points he gives. To those who would wonder, what is the use of this commandment? How can I use this commandment to grow closer with the Lord? How can I use 
the things that this commandment is requiring of me uh, in a way that that maybe helps me not to tremble as much when you hear that charge. He will not hold you guiltless who takes his name in vain. He gives seven points, and I'm only going to read three. It can be a little bit wordy, so just bear with me. But So James Durham, he says this in his book. For helps to this, let me commend unto. Number one, a serious endeavor to walk under the impression of God's greatness and to have your heart filled with his awe. If his fear be in the heart, there will be expressions of reverence to his name in the mouth. I'll read that again. <clears throat> if his fear be in the heart, there will be expressions of reverence to his name in the mouth. Number two, believe and be persuaded of the reality of this truth concerning the terribleness of the reckoning of this sin and the fearful judgments that will certainly follow it. Tremble at this sin and suitably resent it. When you hear it in others, be affected with it and labor to make them so that you may thus train yourselves to be abominating of that evil. And he finishes up point five and he just says this. He says, wait, with an exclamation mark. Will you sleep and this word stand in the Bible on record as a registered decree against you? So some of the parting questions that I would have us consider, and, and before we do that, are there any questions about this commandment? I know we weren't able to dig too much into it. The paragraph for what's required is this long, and the next question for the shall nots is, is this long. So I just kind of gave a surface level, but are there any issues that people have had with the third commandment? Maybe, maybe personal struggles you've had or maybe issues you see in society with regard to this commandment. Before I give some of the closing questions, I'd like you to think about Okay. So I came up with, with three reminders that I felt were appropriate uh, for how we approach this commandment. Number one, ask, let's ask ourselves this question. When you hear or read someone use God's name or Christ's name or any of the names that God has given himself, does it affect you? Whether they use it reverently or irreverently, does it affect you? And then, whatever your answer is, ask yourself, why or why not? And number two, are there vows that you have made before God that you have partially or wholly neglected? And there's an encouragement here for each one of us. It's easy to forget our vows. Opie, how long have y'all been married? Gloria? I should ask Gloria. I'm sorry, Opie. 61 years. This is evidence that we need each other in this room. Even when I read the vows that I took, I had already forgotten the vows that I took in becoming a deacon. Uh, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, we need each other, and we need to remind each other and encourage each other to remember the words that we took before God. And we need to take those words seriously. The last thing I want to leave us with is going back to Exodus. And this is an important reminder anytime that we talk about the law of God because we do still feel that the Ten Commandments as the moral law are still binding. And it's verse 2. 
many view the commandments as trying to keep them as being some way of legalism where we are trying to earn our salvation um, or earn a higher standing with God by keeping this law. But we can see from God's word himself that that is not the intent, these commands. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. We'll just start at verse 1. It's short. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then the commandments follow. So what has happened in Exodus? God has saved his people, and then he's given them a law to delight in. God has saved his people. He's already given them safety from the Egyptians, freedom from bondage, and then he gives them a law to guide them and to protect them and something that they can follow so they can draw near to him. And that is what this third commandment does for us. It provides us another rule, another barrier that we can meditate on, that we can study about, so that we can know how we can have communion with God. We know that we can do things through the blood of Christ that are pleasing to God. And so view the commandment that way. And I know that's the temptation when you, we go through the commandments, when we go through the first commandment and the second commandment, the third, the fourth, and all of them. Sometimes it can be overwhelming in all these things we can or cannot do. But always remind yourself of Exodus chapter 2 and the, why this law was given. Not as a way of salvation, but as a way for the people of God to say, Lord, you've saved us. What do we do now? And then he gives the law. So let us today encourage one another and draw our minds um, as we close this lesson to the ways in which maybe we've fallen short and the ways in which we can be encouraged uh, to hold God's name to a higher esteem. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can all do better with this commandment, as I hope you will see with every commandment as we go through it, uh, including myself. And if we ever get in a position where we don't think we can improve upon a commandment, then that's a scary position to be in. I think that that is probably evidence that our hearts have become hard. So let's close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for your law. We are thankful that it is right and it is good and it is perfect and that it guides us and it protects us, Lord. We are quick to come up with our own ways we are quick to pursue our own pleasures. We are quick to serve ourselves and no others. But Lord, your law brings us back. Your law draws us near. Your law is what your son kept perfectly for our sake. Draw our minds to Christ this morning, oh Lord. As we study the law, yes, Lord, we do see ways in which we can lead our lives in which we can earnestly desire to, to change and be molded by your law. But we are also reminded in your law, O oh Lord, that in Christ there was no sin, that in Christ he was perfectly righteous, and his righteousness imputed to all those who place their trust in him. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to understand the third commandment, Help us to hold your name in high esteem. Help us to be concerned and help us to be affected, Lord, when we hear or we see people profaning your name.
and using it in vain. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen.